What's up, everybody? So excited to talk to you this morning about something that I think our culture is super obsessed with, and that is the idea of new. I think that we're, I mean, maybe it's just me, but I think we're obsessed about when we get new things, whether it's, you know, we order something on Amazon and it comes in and you see it on the door and you just can't, you're so excited because it's something that's new. Maybe it's new clothes. I know for me, I was always excited about Christmas morning, being able to go in and get my new toys growing up. And then I literally, this is what I would do. I'd get my new toys. I would go upstairs. I would push back all of my old toys to make room for my new toys. And I would just play with my new toys. Or a couple weeks ago, I got a brand new fishing pole. What did I do? I went home. I took my old fishing pole out of the boat that I was replacing it with put it up in the garage and then put my new fishing pole right there. And I, just, I really feel like as a culture, we're obsessed with new things. Literally, we could get a shirt that's the exact same shirt, but it's a slightly different color and we get it because it's new. We just love getting new things. And the Bible talks a lot about new things. And in particular, Jesus has this parable where he talks about new things coming. In fact, if, if, if you could summarize this parable into one sentence, which is kind of the main point I want to talk about, I want to reiterate this time and time again. He's talking about the new kingdom, the new way of doing things, a new way to be human. And in this parable, you can sum it up by saying this one line. You could say, the old is gone, the new is here. And Jesus came to talk about this early on in his ministry. The old is gone, the new is here. So let's do a real quick recap, and then we're going to pick up in Mark chapter 2. So Jesus had just began his ministry. He starts doing all these crazy, miraculous things. He's healing people, miracles left and right. He calls some of his early disciples. Um, he calls uh, one of his first disciples that he calls, or one of the early disciples that he calls, was a Matthew or Levi, and he was a tax collector. Pastor Daniel talked about tax collectors last week. And uh, think of Think of a tax collector as someone that everybody hated, kind of like a, a crime boss, like like Grand Theft Auto Israel, you know what I'm saying? Like, like that's, that's kind of how uh, you would see Levi in this day. And so he, he calls Levi to follow him. Everyone's freaked out about this because they don't understand why Jesus would want someone like Matthew, someone like Levi, to follow him. And then what's really crazy is he goes to Levi's Matthew's house. He's hanging out with sinners. He's eating with them. He's associating with all of these people that the religious elite would never associate themselves with. And this made the Pharisees start to question Jesus a little bit. This even made John the Baptist's disciples start to question Jesus a little bit, or at least ask, like, hey, what's going on? What's this new thing that you're doing here, Jesus? See, John the Baptist at this time, he's in prison. So his disciples, uh, they weren't, uh, they weren't, following John the Baptist around like they were earlier in his ministry. By the way, John the Baptist, John B., uh, think of Outer Banks. The original John B. was John the Baptist, y'all, okay? Not from Outer Banks, North Carolina, but Outer Banks of Galilee. And he's the original Pope. And so uh, John the Baptist, okay, he's a... He's in prison, his disciples are here, and then these people come up to Jesus and they have this question for him about fasting because John the Baptist's disciples and the Pharisees and the religious elites, they do religion a certain way, but Jesus was doing it this whole new way that they've never seen before. In particular, he wasn't fasting like they were fasting. And so at the beginning of Mark, we come up here in Mark chapter two. What's really fascinating about this parable too is Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they all have this parable. Now, John doesn't have this parable. John actually has another story about wine. And it's one of the first, it's the first miracle that Jesus does. And that's where he turns water into wine. And what's crazy about that story is the water into wine miracle and this parable that he tells in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they are all about the same thing. And that is that the old is gone, and the new is here. So we're picking this up, Mark chapter two, verse 18, and this is what he says. Now John's disciples and the Pharisees, they were fasting. Some people came and asked Jesus, how is it that John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees are fasting, but yours aren't? Jesus answered, how can the guests of the bridegroom fast, fast while he's with them? They can't, so long as they have him with them. 
but the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them, and on that day, they will fast. You gotta go back at the beginning of summer, Pastor Daniel in the family series, he did a message on marriage, and he talks about the analogy of, of the bridegroom to the groom with Jesus in the church. You gotta go back and watch that, it's unbelievable. I don't have time to unpack that here, but that's what Jesus is talking about. And then he goes on and he says this, no one sews a patch of unshrunk, unshrunk cloth on an old garment. Otherwise, the new piece will pull away from the old, making the tear worse. And no one pours new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the wine will burst the skins and both the wine and the wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins. So a little bit of, 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 a little bit of explanation onto the wine to wineskins. Because if you're like me, the first time I heard this, I was kind of like, what in the world is a wineskin? Sounds really weird. Basically, a wineskin was like a bottle. And new wine being poured into a new wineskin, what would happen is that new wine during the fermentation process, okay, it would begin to expand. And it would need a new wineskin or a new bottle to be put in because that new wineskin would be able to expand as the wine expanded. But if you put a new wine into an old wineskin, an old wineskin couldn't expand anymore. And what would happen is that new wine would burst the old wineskin and you wouldn't have the wineskin anymore and you wouldn't have the wine. You would have neither. In other words, they can't be mixed. They don't go together. The old or the old wineskin cannot contain the new wine. So this is, I really want you to understand this, okay? Jesus is here. Jesus is doing miracles. Crazy things are happening, okay? And then they start to ask questions like this. Like, this is like modern day questions that they would be asking. Um, hey, Jesus, why don't you do music like us? Why don't you dress like us? Why don't you support Trump like us? Why don't you support Biden like us? Why don't you post things on Facebook like us? Why don't you do communion like us? Why don't you do baptism like us? Why don't you do an altar call like us? Why don't you have a drive-in church service like us? Like they are talking about these religious things when Jesus, Jesus was there. They didn't understand that the new had come and the old was gone. They didn't get that. So that's how Jesus responded was, hey, there's this new thing coming and the old way, it can't contain it. The old way can't contain anything new. The old is gone, the new is come. So there's two ways of looking at this, at this parable, and, and really it's two sides of the same coin, okay? So I wanna explain this, and, and the first way of looking at it is by looking at the, the new wine and the new into uh, old wineskins as being like a worldview, and the second way of looking at it is like salvation. So I wanna, I wanna talk through both of those, okay? The first one being the worldview, this is how you can look at it, okay? And I want you to remember this too as I, as I talk through this, this new worldview that Jesus was bringing in, okay? I want you to, to, to think through this. Think through this phrase. Good is the enemy of great. Good is the enemy of great. So the religious uh, uh, system that they had during that time was called the law, the Mosaic law. The Mosaic law was good. You followed these rules and it would make you uh, more holy than if you wouldn't follow these set of rules. It would, um, you would do the sacrificial system and it would for a time, okay, uh, appease God for your sins. But they were looking for a time when a Messiah would come and he would be the ultimate sacrifice. So no longer would they have to do these sacri these, the sacrificial system. No longer would they have to follow all these laws to be holy, but the Messiah would make them holy. The Messiah would be the one complete sacrifice for them all. So the law was good, but it wasn't great. 
And so they needed someone to come to do this great thing, to be an ultimate sacrifice for their sins. And that is what Jesus was doing. Jesus was bringing in this new thing. And he was there to say, hey, the old way is gone. The new way is here. There's this commentary uh, named Warren Wearsby. Uh, Trevor introduced me to him a while back, Pastor Trevor did. And uh, he had this amazing analogy. And uh, he said that Jesus saying this, Jesus bringing in this new thing is like, is like demolishing an acorn. And I looked around uh, here, uh, we're at the lake, by the way, uh, and this is beautiful, and, and I couldn't find an acorn. So uh, anyways, I guess the squirrels took all of them. But, uh, but just imagine I have an acorn, okay? <laughs> and uh, there's two ways of demolishing an acorn, okay? You can take a hammer and you can beat it into a million pieces. And that's one way to demolish the acorn. It will cease to exist. Another way to demolish an acorn is to allow it to be planted so that it could fulfill its purpose and become a tree. The acorn no longer exists, but the tree does. Jesus came to demolish the law, not to get rid of it like beating it with a hammer, but so that it can be fulfilled its purpose and that could go into something else, which is the new covenant, which is the new way to be human, which is following Jesus, which is having a relationship with him, which means following a God, Jesus, for the rest of our lives. That's what Jesus was bringing. That was this new wine. That was this new worldview. And if you would have a relationship with Jesus, you would have this new worldview as well. This new worldview told us that there was a new way to be human. There was a new way to see God and there was a new way to see the rest of the world. In other words, this worldview gave us a new vertical view and it gave us a new horizontal view. We didn't see God no more as just a creator God that gave us a set of rules that one day would bring a Messiah. But we saw God as a God who came down to earth in human form, but also God to be a sacrifice for our sins so that now we can have a relationship with him and experience an eternity in heaven while also experiencing a little bit of heaven on earth. Crazy, right? So he changed our worldview, our vertical view, but he also changed our horizontal view. And now we don't see humanity the same because every single person that we see is someone that Jesus died for. That means every single person that we see is someone that Jesus believes has purpose and meaning. That means that every single person we see is our neighbor. And every single person we see is someone that's capable of love and hope and capable of changing their family tree and capable of doing amazing things in this world for the kingdom of God. So when Jesus said, hey, I'm bringing this new way to be human, what he was saying was, I'm bringing a new way to see the world, a new way to see God and a new way to see everyone else. But maybe you're like the Pharisees or the original John B's disciples. And maybe you have a good worldview, but a not great worldview. It's good, but it's not great. Maybe your worldview and how you see the world is through sports. And it brings us some happiness. Well, maybe not right now because there's no sports going on hardly. But in the end, it doesn't give you lasting fulfillment. Maybe your worldview is through politics. Maybe your worldview is through fortune or fame. See, this is what Jesus came to talk about was that while some of these things can be good and there's good elements to them, at the end of the day, empire, politics, sports, fame, fortune, all of these things will not save your soul. All of these things will not give you lasting peace and fulfillment and hope and happiness and everlasting love. The only thing that will do that in all the universe is relationship with Jesus. And whenever you try to have a worldview that's mainly sports with a little bit of Jesus thrown in, it can't contain it. 
Whenever you have to have, whenever you want to have a worldview that's mainly politics, but a little bit of Jesus thrown in, it can't contain it. Whenever you have a worldview that's mainly fame or fortune, with just a little bit of Jesus thrown in, it can't contain it. Jesus, the gospel, it's too expansive. It's too powerful. It's too robust. Those worldviews cannot contain it. But Jesus, Jesus can contain your politics, your sports, your fame, your fortune. Don't get it backwards. Don't get it backwards. Jesus gave us a great new worldview by bringing this new wine and this new wineskin, this new way to be human, this new way to see God and this new way to see humanity. He brought this new worldview. And if you would have a relationship with him, you would have that. And through a parable, he was trying to get these people to see that. And then we move on. And another way of seeing this, this parable is not just that God gives us a new worldview, a new way of seeing him and a new way of seeing other people, but Jesus makes us new as well. It says in 2 Corinthians, and I love this verse, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, it says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone, the new is here. That's what Jesus was trying to say. Hey guys, the old way of doing things, it's gone. The new way of doing things, it's here and it's a person and it's Jesus. And maybe you are tired of the way that your old self has been. What's amazing is whenever you come into a relationship with Jesus, he makes you new. He gives you a new heart instead of a heart of stone. He puts a new and steadfast spirit inside of you. He makes you a completely new person, which means before you never had the capacity to battle sin or to overcome this world. But now with Jesus, you do. And maybe you are tired of your old self and you want something new. You want a relationship with a person who gives you a worldview that's more powerful than some of the most powerful things that we believe exist in this world, more powerful than politics, more powerful than sports, more powerful than, than, than fame or fortune. And Jesus is way more powerful than that. And you want to have a relationship with someone who can give you fulfillment and peace and love and hope and everlasting life with him and to experience a little bit of the kingdom of heaven here on earth. If that's you and you want to become this new person, the Bible says all you need to do is to believe in Jesus, to ask him to forgive you of your sins and to promise to follow him for the rest of your life. And if that's you, and you wanna give your life to Jesus, you're tired of the old and you want something new. You want to have a relationship with this Jesus person we're talking about that brought in this new worldview, this new way of being human. If that's you and you wanna do that, I wanna invite you to pray this prayer with me. You can pray it out loud or silently wherever you're at, inside of your head. And if you wanna give your life to Jesus, you wanna become a Christian, you want to be saved from your sins, pray this prayer and pray, God, Forgive me for my sins. I'm sorry. I've blown it. I believe Jesus died on a cross, rose from the grave, and I'm declaring Jesus is Lord. I'm sorry. Forgive me. And if that's you, and you prayed that prayer of forgiveness, of salvation, that means that now you're a new creation in Jesus and you're beginning a new journey. And now you're going to spend the rest of your life 
figuring out the mysteries of the gospel and figuring out what it means to be saved in that moment where all of that weight and that sin was lifted off of you. And it's gonna be an amazing, beautiful journey and we wanna help you. And so here in just a moment, there's gonna be some people and host and, and uh, they're going to, to have you text a word to a number so that we can hook you up with, with some, some of our team members and some resources to help jumpstart your journey with Jesus. I wanna encourage you to do that. But maybe you've been following Jesus for a while and he's already made you a new creation. But if you're being honest with yourself, some of the old worldviews that Jesus came to replace has been first in your life. Maybe you've been putting politics over the presence of Jesus. Maybe you've been putting fame and fortune over your heavenly father. Maybe honestly, you've been putting sports over your savior and you need to reverse those. You need to repent and you say, God, I'm sorry. I know that those things, while they can be important in my life and good things, they're not the greatest things. And I need to come back to you and put you at number one for the sake of my family, for the sake of of changing my family tree, for the sake of my own soul. And if that's you, I beg you to repent, to ask God to forgive you to run back to Jesus because Jesus is in the business of making all things new. One of the things that I like to tell students, I'm gonna end with this. A lot of times students feel like because they have such a low self-esteem and Pastor Daniel talked about that last week as being a negative form of pride, that they really feel like they have nothing to offer the world. Young man, if you're watching this, I want you to know that you have something to offer this world. And I want you to know if you feel like you have nothing God is in the business of taking nothing and turning into something and usually something special. Because as Paul says, when God works on things, he makes them into masterpieces, not accidents. You're not an accident. God has a purpose and a plan for you. And I beg you please to turn to him either for the first time or back to him again if you've fallen away from putting Jesus first. I'm gonna pray for everyone right now. And I really hope and pray that this parable impacted you like I believe it may have impacted the disciples so many years ago. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the opportunity to worship you through singing songs and hearing your word preached. Give us the boldness to do what's right with what your word says. To put you first, Jesus. Lord, to understand that everything else in this world is meaningless compared to you. And help us to put what should be first first, which is you and our relationship with you and your presence and the gospel and the kingdom of God coming to earth. Help us to live out this new way of being human, to be a new vessel that's capable of retaining this new wine, this gospel that you've given us. Help us to love other people and help us to love you, Lord, and help us to live out the purpose and plan that you've given us. It's in Jesus' name I ask and I pray. And everybody said, amen.